Hi everyone. Today we're talking to Matthew Live. Hi. He's based in Brooklyn, New York, and was formerly the photo director of Vice magazine. He has written criticisms and interviews about art and photography for Aperture and Time. He has been selected for the 2019 Phone Talent Call and is the editor in chief of Maths magazine. Let's get into it. So, could you briefly introduce yourself? My name is Matthew Leipheit. I'm an independent photographer, publisher, curator, writer in photography, and I teach at Pratt Institute and sometimes at Parsons, where you were my student. Yeah, and I think that your work deals with the queer community, with its complexities and delicacies, and I think that projects exploring and presenting queerness. Have been a prominent role in contemporary photography now. So, how do you see yourself different from like your peers who are working with similar concepts? That's a great question, and it makes me think of like what is my place within that. Also, yeah, I mean, I think maybe starting from there, my place within this kind of this range of work that's being made about queerness and desire and stuff, I think, is that I'm kind of a skeptic. Like, I'm a little bit.、Um, I would say less sunny, and not not that only my photographs are at night, but like literally, I feel like there's like more darkness in my images than a lot of people's work, and I also am kind of melodramatic in my work, and I feel like that is how I would describe my own particular thing. Like when I'm looking at something with a camera, I'm not always trying to celebrate it. And something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that when people make work about queerness, the sort of emotional tone. Is often very like celebratory or happy because, of course, these are sometimes oppressed people that we want to affirm and、uh, admire, whatever. But like, I think that I want people to look at queerness in a more complicated way, where there could be a range of different kinds of emotions, and there could be villains, even or you know, emotional darkness or fear. I feel like there's just like so much, you know, in so many queer people's lives, there's a lot of. Emotional darkness, and I think the way that we are imaged does not usually line up with that.、Mm-hmm. You know, I was actually giving a talk for my friend Drew Donovan's students last summer, and or no, it was the fall, and she said something about all my projects seem a little bit. I don't know if aggressive was the word or something, but it's like I do think that like most of the things that I work on are hopefully something that people could. Have a problem with or disagree with, or like I don't want to make something that's just like pretty and that everyone can appreciate. Like I want to make my favorite works of art are really complicated, and you have to kind of, but something kind of makes you look at them again and again. You know, like the work I've been making recently on Fire Island. There's a photographer, Bill Henson, who it's like very psychologically dark work, and there was this controversy surrounding it. Including like the age of the models in Australia when the work was shown in the '90s, I think, or early 2000s. But it's like kind of、um, really dark color work set in the Australian suburbs called Lux and Knox is the name of the book. Yeah, I guess that is an example that I think is like it's like a masterpiece, but it's complicated, and like I discover more complexity in it each time I go back to it. Since you mentioned the projects on Fire Island, do you think you can briefly introduce the project? Yeah, so I'm here on Fire Island talking to you, where I've been working on this long-term project for really since 2014. But I've been photographing really for the last three years with the idea of publishing a book of that specific project. 
there's a current show of it actually at Delhi Gallery in Brooklyn um, right before stay-at-home orders were put in place for New York. I was supposed to have a show open in March. I was excited about this because there were some really large photographs in it and I've never really made large photos before. Um, and also it was just, it's sort of work from the last year that I've made on Fire Island. And so the, it's a project where I photograph at night landscapes and people, mostly people. I'm really interested in like kind of groupings and choreography of people. Yeah, it's a project that I'm working on. And, you know, I, I came here for the first time in 2014 for a magazine assignment for Vice magazine. And I knew that there was more that I wanted to photograph here. None of those pictures that I took at that time are still in the project at all, but it was sort of research. And then when I was in grad school, I I got like a fellowship to study these love letters by one of my favorite photographers, who is this, uh, who's George Platt Lines, a dead queer fashion and male nude photographer of the first half of the 20th century. In his love letters to these two men that he was with for 18 years in the 1930s. Uh, there were these photographs by a queer collective called Pajama, which is like one of my favorite artists of all time. It's Paul Cadmus, Jared French, and Margaret French. And Paul Cadmus was kind of an, uh, or was a very famous figurative painter of the time. Jared French was also a painter and they had a relationship and then Jared married Margaret. And so they would come out here to Fire Island and do these really highly staged and constructed photographs in the dunes and on the beach. And they would give them to friends at parties or send them to people in correspondence. So in a lot of these letters, I would find little gelatin silver prints of these photographs. I thought about Fire Island and how I needed to come back here because so many of those pictures were here yeah and i think that a lot of times when people are trying to photograph something like this they take on a documentary approach without really getting into the complexities of the issue and i think that for your project you have all these layers of research and then you also stage the photos for your own inspiration Yeah, I think a lot of that for me happens through kind of like style, like the way that I, you know, the color and the way that the images are lit is often eccentric or dramatic. And the I think that I can look at the same subjects that some people might celebrate or or look at in a different way and bring that to them that there's I think a lot of it is sort of projecting the way that I feel about my own sexuality or my own identity onto this place, which is supposed to be a utopia built by queer people, but is actually complicated and flawed. And and so I think it's interesting to look at and, and hopefully show it in a way that is a little bit more complicated or a little bit just more the way that I feel about things. I put a lot of subjectivity into all of my photographs. I think just every time I take a picture, I just bring my whole life experience to the table and I try and just like be as connected to that as possible. So how do you see your work function in a larger aspect in contemporary photography? I think of my work sometimes as adding on to this lineage or kind of history of like mostly male representation involved with desire that is sort of like, I don't know, people would think of Maplethorpe, but I think of Peter Hujar more, or, you know, Wilhelm von Gloden was like an earlier example, George Plotlines. And I feel like someone who's, I've been trying to think of like now, like what is the relevance of this conversation? There was an amazing show of Alvin Beltrop at the Bronx Museum. A lot of that work was made when like being gay was still illegal in many parts of the United States. And it was extremely transgressive at the time. And I think to make work that's like that now, 
or I'm sorry, that is just kind of involved with sort of representing the male form or sexuality or something, which is not what any of those people were doing. It's kind of not surprising or not so subversive anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I am interested in photographing men, but I want to use that to like address questions that I'm having about masculinity or, you know, gay culture, these homosocial environments that exist here. I think someone who's like making amazing work right now that deals with like gender and the body is Collier Shore. She is like extremely aware of this conversation that I mentioned of sort of like picturing the male body and desire and stuff like that. And I think is totally kind of using like upending that history or really quest like shaking it out and questioning it and wondering what the relevance of some of those questions are today. And I would like my work to be critical. For whatever reason, I'm never happy just making something nice. I always want to make something that's kind of potentially upsetting for a purpose, hopefully. Adding on to what you mentioned earlier about this idea of style, I think there are two voices. One of them being that the photographer needs to have a consistent vision, like a style, and the other being that he or she should not repeat themselves. So, what's your take on that? I think people are afraid. At least when I was a student, when I went, when I was at RISD, style was like a really bad word, and you weren't supposed to have a style, and you were all supposed to be like Gerhard Richter or something, where you could do everything. Even he, I mean, he of course has a style. It was. I just got the sense that style was supposed to be some kind of crutch that you would, you know, lean on instead of coming up with a unique solution to each problem you're presented with. I think that you can pick up styles and set them down, and you can use them, and you can. I think it's like style for me is so much. Related to like the emotion of a picture, you know, like the the stylization of it often really affects, I think, kind of its emotional tenor. And so I feel like style is really important, but it's something that should always kind of arise out of you and making the work, and not something you should just slap on there because you think it wants to look like something. You know, like that's a thing that often happens when when people try and make work that looks like fashion. There's different ways you can kind of stylize it to look have like a fashion look. And I feel like that's usually I'm not usually interested in that work. I'm usually interested in something where, if it is related to fashion, it seems like the concept or the style kind of grew organically out of something. Yeah, I think for fashion photography, I really appreciate those who strive beyond the aesthetics. And、um, going back to our previous conversation about style, do you know the works of Daniel Gordon? Of course, yes, I love his work. So I was a big fan of his work, and I went to his website and did a little bit of research. And what I noticed is that he had around two to three jump in his work over the years, where you can really see a distinct difference in how the work evolved. But for his recent works, I feel like he's been ripping off of. What he has been doing for the last five years, so I just want to hear your opinions on that. Regardless of what you may think of his recent work, I think that he made this kind of seminal contribution to the history of photography already. Like actually, very early in his career, with like the work that he showed at、um, New Photography at MoMA. I don't know. I think of those the work that he made. Of the you know cutouts, portraits, and parts, or something, is like one of the most amazing bodies of work in photography that has ever been made. And I think when we look back at the time that that came out, he will be one of two or three people who will stand out. I have great faith that he will go on to do 
incredible things. Right. I have faith in that too. Um, I hope this doesn't turn into a shade throwing episode, but I've noticed that you have roasted the works of JRs on your Instagram account. What was that about? Yeah, I mean that's just my own personal thing. I mean he he's commissioned frequently by the New York Times magazine. He did that movie with Agnes Varda, and he had that show at the Brooklyn Museum. And but I just think it's really cheesy, and I don't understand. <laughs> There's so many like experts that love his work. I think I'm probably wrong on this one. From what I understand, there was sort. It's like the work sort of began with like inside out is the concept. You know, it's like the things that are on the inside of the building. We'll put them on the outside of the building. You know, the people on the inside, and you know, I struggle with this thing where I'm like a photography purist or something, and I, I think there's so much more the camera can do. You know, but that's like I think that's fine. You can say, not for me. You know, you. I'm sure you've experienced this where you see something where seemingly everyone loves it around you, and and you don't understand it at all, and you're like, am I taking crazy pills or what's going on here? Like. But I will say that, like, I should like sit down and put my thoughts about Jr. or some of the other things that I find problematic in the art world down on paper and do a researched, you know, well laid out <clears throat> argument for why I don't like this work. And I think, yeah, I feel like I, you know, I don't actually want to spend my time like researching a takedown of somebody. That I don't know, or that I, although I I believe that you know negative criticism is really important to the health of any community, and that you know unfortunately what happens now is that if people don't like a show, most of the time it just doesn't really get written about, or it gets called out, and like you know like in a very public way. There's not a lot of thoughtful negative reviews that are published. I think that's why I love about. Photo classes or just conversations with friends on art, because that's a space where you can really share what you think on anything that you have a negative opinions about, and you don't got to hear that on the internet. Yeah, I was reading this interview that you did where you were talking about how the Mad Magazine. How it's supposed to be this artist support artist kind of space, and it made me think about how as photographers we can create this fertile ground for all kinds of artwork. Yeah, I mean, I think the Marble Hill Camera Club, which is run by Patrice Helmar, is a really good example of that. It's this thing where when Patrice was a grad student at Columbia. She had this big house in the Bronx in Marble Hill where she would host these、uh, kind of salons where people would present work.、Um, it's really a space for kind of underrepresented voices and especially emerging artists. It's an incredible resource, and I think there's not enough things that exist like that where there's kind of no, you know, it's purely for the love of photographs and art, and it's not something that necessarily is like. Supposed to get you ahead or get you something. It's just like to to have the conversation and to kind of be together as a community, and I think it's amazing. It's been going for four years. It's now in Ridgewood. I think things like that are rare. But yeah, I mean, my magazine is like, it's been different things in different times in my life. You know, like when I started it, I was an undergraduate student, and I just wanted to publish the work my friends were making because I thought people are making such good work, and I would go. 
it came out of that same sense of frustration I was describing earlier because I think I went on a field trip to New York and went to some Chelsea galleries and I was like, what is going on? I have friends who are making, and it kind of, you know, it's like a naive thing to think also, but I was like, I have friends who are making really great work at school and I'm going to show, I'm going to make a platform that will be about that. But it's also kind of a selfish thing. It's called like Matt Magazine. I named it after me and it's like, um, but yeah, it's like, it's one artist per issue. It's usually, so I guess the first phase was when it was my friends. The second phase was kind of, when I moved to New York, I used the magazine to kind of create a community where I would reach out to people who I wanted to know and be friends with, whose work I liked, or I would meet someone. I would, I would be able to say like, oh, I want to work on a project with you. Would you like to do an issue of this magazine? And it's kind of a way that you can have a bond with someone over this thing. Cause you can also say like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we hung out? But people, I guess it's more likely that I think friendships develop if you are kind of working on something together. And it's nice to be able to say like, you know, it's a small run magazine and I have this little platform, but would you like to do something together that, you know, would you like to work on something with me? And um, so I did, I, I kind of used it to build community in the years before grad school. And then when I went to grad school, I kind of, I published my classmate Russ's work and that was, I think, a great issue. But then I, I think the way that I can be effective as a publisher is to really publish, kind of be the first publication of an artist or something, to be the first publication of maybe an undergraduate student who is really exciting, but maybe, you know, their work needs some encouragement or editing or whatever it may be. I think that's more useful than trying to publish the work of, you know, like if I went to the Yale graduating class list every year and was like, I'll publish some of these, you know, it's like those people already are going to be very well connected and like have people looking at their work. And like, I just feel like I can be more effective with people who are sort of more um, on the super emerging side of the spectrum. I think probably what you heard is that I had been, I had worked at a commercial photo agency as an intern one summer and I did not have a good time. I was like, I'm going to start this publication so that I have my own platform. And increasingly that's kind of how I feel like I teach at different schools and I've done a bunch of different jobs and I've worked for different publications, but I feel like maybe my life project is to become kind of my own institution on whatever scale that I can and to just do the projects that I'm interested in because you're not, it's your own then, you know what I mean? It's like, you're not like reliant on some other institution or publication or whatever it is. You know, it's like life is so short and it's so at least for me, the less time I can spend doing ideas that I don't care about or other people's ideas, the better that is. So I think I just want to support the artists that I want to support on whatever small scale I can and do my own work. That's something that I've been thinking about during quarantine a lot is sort of, more than anything, want to be like an independent force. That's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and you can check out Matthew's work at matthewlivepie.com.